0: Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church Podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Morning. morning. You sound great. I haven't had a chance to look at you. You didn't know if you look at you great, but I'm assuming you do. You sound wonderful this morning. It's so good to be together uh, on these occasions when we can gather the whole family of God together. And uh, we're thankful to do that today. I think our next one will be in July. We'll do it down at TriPoint. And it's fun to uh, experience a little bit different worship venue and worship style to meet other members of the church and the family that you may not have been able to meet, and certainly to celebrate together afterward. Um, I'd like to read for us our scripture today. We will be in John chapter 2, John 2, verse 13 through the end of the chapter there in 25, and I'll pray for us in a minute, but want to read this for us as we begin. John two thirteen through 25 a house of trade. His disciples remembered what, that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what signs do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build the temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let me pray for us. God, your goodness overwhelms. Your goodness is beyond description or understanding. The depth of it and the breadth of it cover so much in our lives. every hair of our heads every atom of our being, every molecule of nitrogen and oxygen in our air, every bit of it and more, God, you are Lord over and your goodness infects, even when it seems like from our perspective, it doesn't and we struggle to understand. Help your goodness to be known in our lives today. Your love for us, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness known in our lives today, that we would see you as clearly as we are able on this side of eternity, that we would see you as you've revealed yourself to be and not as the world so often confuses. And may you meet with us today. In your name we pray, amen. There's a rumor out there started by a particular 11-year-old fifth-grade girl who may or may not live in my home that the big draw for fifth and sixth grade today was not Easter eggs, but being able to skip out on the sermon. And so I am uh, unsure of how I should feel about that. It is wonderful to see so many children here uh, and wonderful to be able to worship together and also celebrate and have fun together, both of which are so integral to the life of faith and discipleship that we live. There's really nothing in our culture, in our world that compares to the temple in the time of Jesus before and after. I mean, not in size or in beauty, Ever since we figured out flying buttresses and then figured out steel, we've been able to build amazingly beautiful and awe-inspiring structures, uh, bigger and, and more impressive, I would say, overall than the temple ar- ar- architecturally. But as far as what the temple brought together, we don't have anything to compare it. The temple brought together the, the religious part of life for for. Those who were Jewish, it brought together the cultural parts of their life, somewhat of their their social life, their cultural way of being, the people that they were had its fulfillment there. It brought together their political life. I mean, Rome aside, it was the temple they looked to, to how they should relate to Rome. It was their temple they came and paid taxes at. We don't have anything closely resembling that. I mean, we have a seat of government in in D.C. or in Austin, and we can go and visit these places. Uh, We can go, and, you know, it it took me a long time, but at 37, I finally made it to D.C., and and it was amazing. I mean, I loved it. It was amazing to walk in to the Capitol and see the White House and, you know, see all of these things and the Library of Congress and just being in that space. It was moving, but it wasn't spiritually moving. I, I knew it wasn't the seat even of culture, much less my spiritual life. Where would we say culture's seat is? We would probably have some disagreement about this. Maybe it's sort of in the, the, the metaphorical Hollywood space, right, that shapes so much of our culture, what we take in, what we see, what we view that shapes so many things. Maybe it's more a little bit north up in Silicon Valley and all of the the internet startups that have started out of that space that shape our life. I mean, how often today have you been shaped by Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google? These places they they fill our world daily, hourly, minute by minute, sometimes. Or maybe it's you know that American city on the hill, New York, which uh, you know with its its financial district and Broadway and. We look to New York for so many things. None of those really get at the fullness of a monolithic culture center, not like the temple. And we have no spiritual center of our culture. It's spread out and it's disseminated and it's here and it's there and it's a lot of it. There's no center to that that we might trek to in our culture, but the temple, can you imagine it? Brought all of that together, the biggest thing Virtually anyone that came to the temple had ever seen sitting up there on the mount was the temple of God. They came to worship. They came to understand their culture and be with their own people. It was all wrapped in there together. Again, we we struggle to understand the importance of the temple and what it meant to the, and even more than this cultural, political, spiritual space, it represented God's promise to his people. God had said that I will, and more than the promise of God, that it was where God would reside, that God resided in the holy and holies. And if God's activity on earth could be located in one spot, it was that little room in the center of the temple. That's where God was. And so you came to the temple to be close to God. You came to the temple to be close to one another. And as long as the temple stood, you knew there was a promise of God. And, and, you know, go through a long list. The Babylonians may defeat us. The Persians may defeat us. The Greeks may defeat us. The Greeks may defeat us a couple times. The Romans may defeat us. But as long as the temple stood, there's this promise that remains, the thread of a promise. And one day when God does something, it's gonna happen here. We know this place will somehow be involved in that. And so we have feasts and we have pilgrimages where we would try to come back to the temple from wherever we lived and, and be there and be fed by its presence. In our scripture passage today, our story takes place in the temple at the time of Passover. So we remember the Passover story from the Old Testament this time uh, after the 10 plagues when God was about to deliver his people from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he told them to each family to slaughter a, a lamb and to spread its blood over the-, the doorpost and that everyone who had blood over their pl- uh, doorpost, the blood of the lamb would be passed over as the, the spirit poured over Egypt and-, and-, and killed the firstborn, this very difficult, hard passage but but delivered god's people and it's how god's people were delivered from slavery into freedom they came together on passover just like what happened this week to remember that deliverance but over decades and decades and centuries and centuries yes it was about remembering that event but it also became about looking forward looking forward to the day when god would do it again and so people disagree about how many people might have been in Jerusalem about this time, but kind of a conservative mid-estimate, I just generally aim for the middle if there's differing ones, was maybe as many as 300,000 people poured into Jerusalem this time. I mean, you know, think Final Four weekend here, right? I mean, you know, big, that's a lot in San Antonio, much less in a city of Jerusalem, much less 2,000 years ago when travel was so difficult, 300,000 extra people pouring into town, wondering, about God's promise, wondering about God's deliverance. And it was an emotionally uh, pregnant time for the city of Jerusalem when uh, Rome poured in in force to make sure no revolts happened. Revolt was on some minds. Some minds were fearful that we've got a decent deal set up with Rome. We don't wanna screw this up. Anytime there's a conquered people, there's a portion of that conquered people that benefit greatly from the conquering and others in between that didn't, they feared like any time, right? We fear what is and we fear what could be and we just kind of want things to say the same and, and people coming from all over and it was a emotionally charged time that we find in our passage today. So everyone that would have come into Jerusalem this time would have come to the temple at least once. It's just like now, you know, if you come to San Antonio you're, for the first time, you're gonna go see the Alamo. You may not know much about the Alamo. You may not know any of the story or you may not be Texan, but you're gonna go see it just to see it. Now, this was even more than that. You might've gone every day just to sit and wonder at it, but there were some responsibilities you had. Uh, every male of age, so that's probably 13 and over, would have had to pay the half shekel tax to the temple. And you couldn't just come with whatever coins you brought from wherever in the Rome that you moved, from wherever in the provinces you move. No, you needed temple coinage. You also had, every family had to make the sacrifice of an unblemished animal. So an animal without spot, an animal without injury, an animal with no, you know, stubbed hoof or bruised thigh or cut on its neck or something like that. You know, that's hard to find. And it's real hard to transport one 50 miles, hundred miles over a difficult journey. And so what happened was in the outer court of the temple, A business sprang up, sanctioned by the temple. And so you couldn't just bring your coins because it wasn't standard like today. How much gold is that piece? You know, how much silver or copper or bronze is in that the weights weren't all the same. So there were money changers. There were bankers out there who who would come and say, well, we'll weigh this and figure out, you know, what a Nazareth coin might've been or whatever, Syrian, whatever it was. And we'll change that for you into temple coinage. And by the way, we charge, you know, a one to 3% fee for our services. My dad's a banker, I know how this works. And then there were others that, so you imagine that on one sort of side of the outer court are all of these different money changers, like you know going to the airport when you need to change money, when you travel internationally, they're there ready to do this for you. And then the others, they provided the service of unblemished animals. So if you could afford it, you sacrificed an ox. And if you couldn't afford that, you sacrificed to a lamb. And if you couldn't sac- uh, afford that, you fa- sacrificed a dove. And so there were oxen vendors and, and land, uh, sheep vendors and there were pigeon vendors there that would exchange you pay them and there's your unblemished animal you didn't have to bring that from wherever you were so it was a market now just imagine for a minute to put ourselves in the passage the sound the noise the smell of that place you walk into the temple In this Passover celebration, that is a time of worship, a time of remembrance, a time of active memory to remember what God has done, to to worship and call to mind who God is yet again this year. And you're you're assaulted with the smell of all of these animals, unblemished animals still do everything a regular animal does, y'all. And the clink of coins and the smell of the masses who, you know, they didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express and take their shower every day, right? It was, travel was sweaty and it was hot and it was dirty. And all of them pressed in there together in this space that must have been maybe anything but a worshipful space. Imagine that chaos. We'll come back to that again. What what it was, the temple was made into a market. And in walks Jesus into this space. Now in John, this happens in chapter 2, like the second thing Jesus does in his ministry. He he blesses the, the, the wedding at Canaan, the water into wine, and then he comes here. In the other gospels, this is it, during Holy Week at the very end. And so we don't really know if John just got it out of order or maybe this actually happened a couple different times, which would have been understandable. We don't really know, but the passages are all very similar. John's is the most complete, which is why I use it today. But Jesus walks in and we know the story. There's two big surprises, I think, in this passage. One is just the actions of Jesus himself. He walks in and it seems like he hasn't prepped the disciples on this. He maybe didn't decide till that moment. We don't really know, but Jesus kind of loses his mind. Can we say that about Jesus? He acts in a way he doesn't act throughout the rest of Scripture. What is this feeling? We, we need to name that. We'll talk about that in a minute. What is the emotion going through Jesus at this point? We assign any number of them. Scripture gives us some. But whatever it is, he looks around and he sees what? He sees the, the ritual and not the heart, maybe. We're not really told. He sees maybe all of these financial, practical ritualistic, religious barriers to just knowing God, maybe. Or maybe he sees the futility of the whole temple structure now that he is here. He is the temple. And this whole rigmarole is an adventure in missing the point since Jesus is now here fulfilling this. The holy of holies is him, not in that space. Maybe all three of those, whatever it is, he finds some cords and some rope, and rolls them up, it kind of seemed like something he might've played with as a kid with his brothers and sisters. You ever roll up a towel and pop your brothers and sisters? Kind of looks like Jesus had done this before. Rolls it up. He starts whipping those unblemished animals. That's a problem enough in itself. Not blemished, unblemished anymore. And it's a crowded space. He drives out all of the animals. Stampede, chaos women and children and families scattering everywhere. He, he drives out the lambs. He drives out their, their caretakers and their vendors and those that had bought them and were it was their living. He he, he drives out the people that are there purchasing everything. And he goes to the, the vendors, the, the money changers, the bankers that are there, and he pours out their table, their, their coffers, and he turns over their tables and all the profits mixing together there and the coins from all the land and Kind of picks on the poor pigeon vendors. You know, these are the the small guys and says, you guys get out of here too. Do not make my father's house. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. That's one surprise. We're gonna come back to it. The second surprise is the reaction. Have you ever stopped and wondered at the react? The Pharisees have reacted pretty strongly to Jesus. They're about to react even more strongly to Jesus if we follow that this is Holy Week, but their reaction is fairly calm. Now imagine, right? Just for instance, we got some lovely iPads up here, you know, bunch, I don't even wanna know how much the cost of all the equipment on this stage is right now. What if someone came in and just started throwing iPads and tossing hymnals and and destroying this beautiful violin and I won't name all the other instruments, our wonderful Steinway. I mean, what would we do? We'd tackle them, right? We'd stop them, we'd yell, we'd do something beyond just allowing it to happen. And we certainly wouldn't immediately ask a theological question. You know, by what theology do you base your actions on today, sir? You know, no. That's really what the the Pharisees do. Uh, Jesus, by what sign are you doing this? In other words, have, have you lost your mind? Or are you inaugurating something? Is there something you want to tell us? Now we would love to know more about the intent behind this. Are they tripping him up Uh, among some of them? Is there hope that he will be something more than they would like that they would like him to be? But they ask this question, and Jesus responds: tear this temple down, and I will rebuild it in three days. And they ask, you know, oh, Jesus, this thing's been being built for like 46 years and it's not done. (laughs) It's a long construction project. They didn't have Gary Martin running this, y'all. It took a while. And it was so heavy and so big parts of the stones that I mean, they're still standing 2000 years later. And so to say it will be torn down is just a ridiculous statement from their perspective. Now flash forward a few decades, it will be torn down. That's not the point I think primarily Jesus is making. More ridiculous than tearing it down is building it up. It had taken 46 years to get to that point. Three days? That's folly. What in the world could Jesus possibly mean by this? Now, of course, we know. We talked about this in Bible study the past few Wednesday nights. When John is writing in the Gospel of John, he's often writing on a couple levels. There's just sort of a, a basic human level of understanding, and this, this deeper spiritual level that he's foreshadowing who he will be. He's talking about what's gonna happen in his life. And it's really difficult for those in real time to understand exactly what he's saying. It's it's difficult stuff. We know that Jesus is about to die and be resurrected. And that he's reinterpreting the temple in light of himself. Now, that's a story for next week, isn't it? <laughs> we'll hit on it. We'll major on it next week. But the question for us is: What do we do with this whip cracking and table toppling? toppling Jesus, I've worked on that all week, and I stumbled on it. I mean, what do we do with this Jesus? who acts so differently in this passage than pretty much anywhere else in scripture, because we're drawn to this passage, many of us. I think there's maybe two things that I want us to think about of how does this passage teach us to follow Jesus more closely? One is, we're drawn to this passage in part, or maybe in full, because Jesus gets worked up. And how many times when someone gets on their high horse about something, they get on their passion project, you know, and, and they say, well, you know, even Jesus got angry. <laughs> and you go, well, okay, did he? I mean, that really is one of the questions of this passage. Is this anger Jesus is experiencing or, or something else? Uh, it's never called anger. What it's referred to is is zeal. Now we gotta be careful with zeal because zeal misplaced has done all sort of awful things in our world. We don't get to call what we feel zeal. I, I think that's left to God to call in our lives. When we start naming our feelings as zeal, I think we're in really dangerous territory sometimes there. But what Jesus is doing here, now let me back up a step. If it were me in this situation, And most of you that I know, probably all of you that I don't know, I can't imagine doing this without sin in my heart. I can't imagine tabletopping, whipping animals, causing a stampede, causing a ruckus without anger, without vengeance, without wanting someone's downfall, without wanting someone to pay. If I let myself go like that, all of these sinful feelings would come up and it would be acting out of that. And yet we're told Jesus didn't sin. So that's not what this is. Jesus came to remove all barriers between us and God. Jesus came to to pave this path from wherever we are in life straight to God. And he walked in that day and saw nothing but barriers between the people and the God who loved them, the God who had delivered them. Instead of celebrating deliverance, they were enslaved to this ritualistic, difficult, complicated, troublesome system that was irrelevant because he was now here and it's zeal for holiness, zeal for the ways of God that drive Jesus into this getting worked up. There are parts of us, and I've been told this, that that really wish Jesus operated more like this. They wish Jesus would have got worked up a little more often. They wish Jesus would have showed this side of himself a little more often. Why? Not because they think that'll teach them more about Jesus, but because we would like Jesus to look a little more like us. That's how we work. We get worked up. We want a clean house. We want some righteous anger sometimes. We think it makes us feel good. Hear me very carefully. How do we follow? What does this passage teach us about Jesus? What it doesn't teach is it doesn't justify your anger. It doesn't, justify violence. It doesn't justify getting worked up in such a way that harms other people. The way of Jesus is still forgiveness, grace, and love, as we'll see. It's a call for a passion for holiness, a passion for the ways of God, a passion that any barrier that might exist in any life a barrier between them and God would be removed so that they might know the God who loves them. Two, we understand by looking back what Jesus is talking about when he says he will rebuild the temple in three days. He will be crucified and he will be resurrected and the holy of holies is now no longer in the temple but will reside in Jesus that where Jesus is, the center of God's activity on the world is there. It is no longer stationary. It is no longer hidden. It is no longer behind walls. It is accessible and out there and on the loose around Jerusalem and Galilee. But if we take this a little further, what happens next in the story, if I can give away the ending, is Jesus resurrects and he ascends to heaven And what happens then in Acts 2? He sends the Holy Spirit fully God and pours it out on creation. And so the Holy of Holies was in the temple and then it was in Jesus. And then after resurrection and ascension and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now in us, the center of God's activity in the world. Hear this miraculously is in you and me and our brothers and sisters around this world. It doesn't make us God, it means that God's activity in the world is given to us and placed in us and comes in and through God's leading of us. And so we are the holy of holies in the world. We are little Christ sent on mission and spread out around the world to be the presence of Christ to people as we've talked about these last weeks, to show forgiveness and love and mercy and grace and truth and salvation to a world who desperately needs it. But here's what the passage would teach us. If God was zealous for the temple, for the holiness of the temple, so is he zealous for us so does he hope and work for us to be holy for anything in our life that is in between us and God, that is pulling us away from God or distorting God's work in our life. As he cleared that out of the temple, so will the Holy Spirit work and the power of Jesus work to clear these things out of our lives. Now, thankfully, his weapon is not the whip, His weapon is this grace and love and forgiveness we've been talking about and will talk about for as long as I am here. His his weapon, and it's not even a weapon, his tool, his motivation, his gift is to love us well and to show us his love and beckon us forward to say, turn from those ways that are leading you down this other path and turn to the way that leads to life in me. Don't you know I love you? Don't you know I've forgiven anything that, that needs to be forgiven? Don't you know there's a path for you here of life to the full? Friends, we enter Holy Week today We end our journey of Lent in this week. And that journey of Lent, as we started on Ash Wednesday, is about preparing our hearts, preparing our lives uh, for the work of resurrection. It's doing some good internal work, self-reflection, spiritual disciplines, prayer, to say, God, where is my life out of alignment with you? Where are there parts of my life that I need help clearing out so that you can come in in power? That is my my challenge for you this week. Where are those areas of your life? If you sit still and pay attention to what God may have been doing these previous weeks or seasons or years, where are there gentle nudges? Maybe to step out in faith. Maybe to a ministry to which God has been calling you. Maybe it's an area of of repentance and confession in your life that you've just kind of been hanging on to and you haven't been ready to let that go quite yet. Friends, resurrection is coming and we want to be found ready. We want to be found to experience the fullness of it, to live in the fullness of it so that we might live, yes, so that others might live as well. May we all pay attention to this whip cracking and table toppling Jesus. Who has such a desire for holiness, he would follow obedience even to the cross and be found resurrected three days later so that we might live. How do we make room in our lives for this Jesus? Let me pray for us. Lord, you speak to us through gentle nudges of your spirit, through the wisdom of friends, through the truth of scripture, through music, through prayer, through teaching, through so many ways you work in our life to reveal to us the path you would have us on to reveal the way sin is at work in our life and needs to be repented of, to reveal the ways you're leading us forward in our life that that we should walk through that door. You work in gentle and loving but persistent ways to clear out that in our life which is a barrier to you and to meet us there in that space. God, that we would listen. In your name we pray, amen. enjoyed your segment of the trinity baptist church podcast with senior pastor matt homeyer join us next week for another segment for more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources visit our website at trinitybaptist.org